Hi everyone, welcome to the Saker Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 65 today, it's the 5th of January 23, the first of the new year, and today we're thinking about how you can be secular or free, but not both. So welcome to the podcast everyone and a very happy new year to you. And I'd just like to give you a special welcome if you are uh, new to the podcast. I had a, a nice email this morning from someone who'd just discovered the podcast over Christmas and had appreciated it. Um, thank you very much for emailing me. And uh, if you are new to the podcast, then let me just take a moment to explain what the podcast is about. I started it back in uh, 2021 as I was just thinking about, you know, how I just couldn't understand why more churches particularly weren't uh, engaging with what was happening from a sort of Christian perspective and looking at the Bible and looking at what was happening in society and trying to join the dots. And there was just nothing really from the church about what was happening. So I started up this, uh, well, originally it was a YouTube channel, then it became a podcast to try and work out what was happening. And I, I did videos looking at kind of individual topics, but that gradually morphed into doing a weekly podcast where I'll look at a topic each week, one main topic. So what we do is I start out with a bit of news, you know, links and things that I've seen over the last week um, and talk about those. Then we'll look at a main section uh, usually which is um, a particular topic that we're looking at for that week and then we'll finish off with a reflection from the Bible. So that's what we do and thank you very much for uh, emailing me. Um, I do really appreciate anyone who emails me through with comments, questions or you know thoughts, encouragement, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, it's really encouraging to me just to know that people are listening and engaging uh, with what I'm saying. So that's that's brilliant. You can get in touch with me. You can email me through via my website if you want or you can email sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Telegram. There's a Telegram channel. Uh, the link is down below in the description. Uh, or you can leave a comment if you're here on YouTube. And just to say, just in case I get kicked off YouTube, there is a channel on Odyssey as well, which um, which is happening. I think you know the the fact that um, Elon Musk has taken over Twitter is I think put a, some of the, these social media companies a little bit on the back foot and I wonder if they're slightly more hesitant to to ban someone now than they were, I don't know. But either way, it might happen because I do sometimes talk about the vaccine and you know, you're know you not allowed to, to talk about that very much on YouTube. So there we go, that is, um, uh, that's, that's by the by. If you'd like to support me, by the way, I always forget to say this until near the end. I don't want to be one of these people who's always asking for money. But if you do want to support me, then you can do that on Buy Me A Coffee. There is a link for that uh, down below in the description as well. And I really do appreciate all of those things. You know, the commenting, the likes, the, um, you know, everything. Really, really kind of you. Of you. So, um, yeah, that's, that's just what I wanted to say to begin with. So... Let's start then just with a few things that I've seen over this last week. I won't go over. Uh, obviously, it's been a little bit quiet over the Christmas period. Um, but um, there are a couple of things I've, sort of, I've seen in the last few days that I wanted to share uh, with you. Um, so the first thing is an article by Alison Pearson in The Telegraph, which uh, normally The Telegraph is in a paywall, but I don't think this article is at the time of recording. Um, and it's called... NHS managers are gaslighting the British public. The subtitle, we put tens of billions of our national wealth into healthcare. What we get in return is broken, embarrassing and dangerous. This is published on the 3rd of January. And uh, yeah, I think what Alison Pearson, uh, she, she makes the point that, you know, we always criticise the government for the NHS, but there are NHS managers. I think the chief executive of the NHS is getting paid more than the prime minister. And these are, you know, why are these people allowed to get away with it? Why do we constantly criticise the government for not funding the NHS enough when it's actually the managers who are in charge of sort of day to day and who are, you know, um, they're the ones who are hiring all of the um, diversity, equity and inclusion managers, for example, and spending millions on that and not on actually paying nurses, for example. Um, and yeah, I thought that was a really good read. And I, I think the line which was my absolute favourite um, is, um, she says, um, 
Like Jeremy Corbyn at the funeral of a Palestinian terrorist, NHS managers are mysteriously present but not involved. I think that was an absolutely fantastic line. Um, but yeah, do have a read of that. And um, I think that was very thought-provoking about the the, uh, the NHS. And you might remember, I looked at the NHS just before Christmas as well. If you didn't catch that one, um, you might like to go back and have a look at that. The second thing is um, the thread on Twitter about how Twitter rigged the COVID debate. And this is um, looking at you know, all these revelations that have been coming out over the last few um, few weeks about what's been going on at Twitter over the last two or three years and about how there was censorship. You know, people like Martin Kulldorff and Jay Bhattacharya, who were scientists behind the Great Barrington or, or two of the scientists behind the Great Barrington Declaration, were censored by Twitter. And it happened at the request of the US government and probably the, the um, other governments got involved as well. And um, it just made me think, you know, that we, we know censorship has happened now on Twitter. We know that it was the case that other scientists who were eminently credentialed and, and so on were silenced or, or restricted. And I, I don't understand why anyone could still believe in you know, in inverted commas, the narrative. I don't understand how people could say, well, there is a, a scientific consensus that lockdowns were the best thing to do and, and all of the things that we did. Because, you know, there was no consensus. It was a manufactured consensus by the government and by censorship. Um, but, it, you know, you may have seen that there was a consensus on the TV and you may have, you know, people may have gone along with it. But there was certainly not the, that the only sort of scientific way of looking at things. And I think experience, time is, is bearing out the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration. And I think it's proving them absolutely right. And, you know, we knew that it was true back then, you know, in, in October 2020 when they published it. I mean, we knew it was true before that because it was basically just what the, the UK Pandemic Preparedness Plan had already said from um, 2011. So we knew that it was right, um, you know, all along. But, it, you know, it is being borne out now that they are being proven to be the ones who were in the right as the evidence is stacking up that lockdowns were a colossal, um, I say mistake. I think mistake is the wrong word. I think crime would probably be a better word, really. A crime against uh, humanity. Um, but, yeah, um, lo looking at that, you know, Twitter and other social media companies, we suspected all along that they uh, that people were being censored. But we know uh, we know now that it is true and how anyone can still believe that, you know, it was just a free and open debate and we just did the right thing. Um, I, I just don't see how you can believe that anymore. OK, if we turn now to looking at um, the COVID uh, vaccine. There was an article published on TCW Defending Freedom, formerly known as the Conservative Woman, um, a few uh, couple of days ago, January the 3rd, by uh, Sally Beck, called Under the Spotlight, Excess Deaths and the COVID Vaccine. Just looking at excess deaths and looking at how it is linked with the vaccine rollout. One of the fascinating things which um, she's quoting from a former Wall Street executive Edward Dowd, um, who's been looking at excess mortality statistics. But let me just quote you one of the things that, that he quotes from, from the article. From February 2021 to March 2022, millennials experienced the equivalent of a Vietnam War with more than 60,000 excess deaths, he said. The Vietnam War took 12 years to kill the same number of healthy young people we've just seen die in 12 months. The Vietnam War took 12 years to kill that many young people that we've seen die in 12 months. Don't you just think that's an astonishing uh, statistic? This is why people have been saying this must be investigated. And the more time goes on, the more I think, along with other people, uh, Dr. John Campbell actually has just published um, a few days ago, published a video on Rumble saying, you know, the, the mRNA vaccine rollout uh, should be stopped. And you can go and, and have a look at that um, if you like. It's not up on YouTube for, for obvious reasons of censorship. 
um, but he's published it. And you know that the, there are many people now who are calling for these um, vaccines to be to be to be stopped. Um, Andrew Bridgen, I think I mentioned before Christmas as well, the MP. Um, it's yeah, it's just astonishing to to think that nobody is interested in this in the in the within the kind of the the corridors of power within the establishment is interested in looking at this. Uh, I think this is going to this is going to be big when it all comes out. I think it is gradually coming out. Um, the truth you you can't hide the truth forever, and I think more and more people are cottoning on to what is going on. Like the fact that the other day Chris Whitty said uh, the number of people uh, there were increasing numbers of of people um, dying because of uh, problems with the NHS because people didn't go to hospital um, over the last couple of years as the government advised them to do by the way because they were terrified of going into hospital because of getting COVID um, and all of that stuff but yet you know you can't hide the truth if they're having to to defend things in public now I think you know we are getting close to the position where they are actually going to have to face reality so yeah it's just a it's just an abs- absolutely tragic that it's taken this long to get to to get to this point. Um, the final thing, when it comes to um, again on on the vaccine, but um, on the Nigel Farage's show on GB News the other day, he interviewed um, James Wells, who is um, a statistician, formerly um, worked for the ONS, and he was talking about how there were over or on average about a thousand excess deaths per week and this has been going on since about may so you know again just looking at that a thousand excess deaths per week you think about during covid how every death covid death mattered you know we were told the numbers every day you know x number of people have died from covid a thousand people have been dying every week roughly you know give or take where 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 are they where are the people on tv saying those numbers you know what why is it that only people who die of covid really counts i remember actually a friend of mine saying um uh, a year or two back you know that um, it doesn't matter what you die of as long as it's not covid that was the, the the lockdown mentality and i think we're seeing we're seeing the same thing happening it's just um yeah it i mean Folks, I, I, I just can't begin to describe how wrong this all is. You know that that's that's part of the problem here. It's like you just can't you can't find the words to say how how terrible this is. This is just evil. Everything that's happening, and the fact that politicians and the media and so are just complicit in this evil, in the sense at least that they're looking the other way. You know, and they would rather not investigate. They just carrying on with the narrative and they're looking the other way you know that's what the um the uh, expression is isn't it you know all it takes for evil to flourish is for good men to do nothing and you know that's that's the problem that no one has the courage or few people have the courage like andrew bridgen to actually stand up in parliament or to stand up in the media and say hold on a minute this is wrong we need to look into this as a matter of urgency and um only the people on the fringes at the moment are saying that but time will time will come i think when there will be a reckoning so we need to remember how wrong this has been and we need to to pray that um it will it will be put right that there there will be accountability and that uh, yeah the the right thing will be seen to be done so anyway um i didn't quite intend to finish uh, to finish that way but there we go um that's uh, that's all the news if there's anything that you have to share let me know in the comments or telegram whatever uh, let's move on now to think about the main topic thinking about being secular or being free So the title of this section, I've called it Secular or Free, Choose One. Uh, The idea being that really being secular or being free are um, mutually exclusive. That's the that's really what I'm what I'm getting at here. Uh, So let's uh, let's think about this. Um, Is it possible to be secular and to be free? 
Um, there's a, a poster I found which said religion free zone and that says you know only reason rules here religion is poison they say you know no child abuse no sharia no um, uh, superstition no imaginary friends no bigotry no hateful old books um, and clearly this is um, a, a position which is echoes that of Christopher Hitchens from a few years ago. You may remember the, the New Atheist movement, which seems to have fizzled out now. But the New Atheist, Christopher Hitchens being one of them, uh, he wrote, uh, wrote a book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And that was, I think, in the um, early to mid-noughties that he, he wrote that book. So, yeah, the, um, that's been a view of a lot of people that really what we need to do is you know if you want to believe if you want to be christian or if you want to be muslim or anything then that's fine but we are going to clear it all out from the the adult world you know from government from institutions from the media we're just going to clear it all out it's going to be a religion free zone because religion is your own private business and has nothing to do with us in fact if we let it in it would just poison everything according to christopher hitchens now, is it possible to do that? I think there are people who would um, argue that that is, um, that is the right thing to do. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, I've got uh, pictures of, uh, of a few different people up, up, up there. But, um, you know, I think this, this idea that you know, people may recognise the role that Christianity has had may even think that it's got a role to play, an important role perhaps to, uh, to play today, but they don't see it as being foundational. So the people I've got the pictures of are um, Andrew Doyle, who I think was raised in, in the church. Uh, he's, I think he's talked about that before, but I, I believe he calls himself an atheist now. Uh, now he's someone who's written about the importance of free speech. I agree with him a lot on, on many different issues. I like Andrew Doyle a lot. But um, and I think he recognizes that Christianity is important, but I, I don't think, you know, he doesn't believe himself and I don't think that he would see Christianity as sort of being foundational uh, to society today. And you could say the same about Douglas Murray. You know, I've also put him up there. Douglas Murray is um, I have a huge respect for his opinions, for his thoughts. Um, but again, he's an atheist and, you know, that I think he sees Christianity as kind of being historically important and even an important part of society today compared to, to Islam. But certainly not in that sort of foundational sense, I would I would say. Um, I've also got up there um, Renee Honderkamp. Um, Renee is, um, if you haven't come across her, she's the doctor at, at GP and she's been a voice of reason over the last uh, two or three years when it comes to COVID um, that she's really um, stood up for, for freedom and for medical ethics and, and doing what's right uh, for children for you know and for so on. So I, I've, I really have a lot of respect for her. She's been very brave and um, you know she's been on, on the news, been on GB News and, and other, other places as well to talk about this. Uh, but the other day, um, Lawrence Fox said something um, on Twitter about abortion. Um, against uh, abortion and she replied and she was, she was quite disparaging actually about the bible and about you know biblical sort of ethics um so yeah so she was you know has been standing on the side of truth when it comes to covid but is not by any means a christian uh, similarly um i've got up there the uh, lovely uh, beverly turner um i i think she again has been a real voice of reason over the last um two or three years you know and she was so brave standing up against the vaccine uh, mandates but um you know she's um, an honorary i think associate of the national secular society and um you know so like so many people you know they they have um they may perhaps um want to stand on the truth but then when it comes to christianity will reject it and say, you know, yes, well, okay, it might be important for our society in some sense, but I just, you know, it's not for me, and it's fine if you want to do it, but I wouldn't, you know, it may have had a historical role perhaps, but not not now, or at least we've we've moved beyond it. So, you know, it's got we've got a funny kind of mix of opinions there, and I just like to say, by the way, I included those people because they're all people I like and respect in many different ways, and I didn't mean to pick on them 
kind of um, in in uh, in particular. Um, but this this attitude, I think, is just quite common. You know that Christianity, yes, it might have been historically important. It might be important to our society in some ways today, but by and large, I reject it, and I think that you know being secular is is better. Although we might be historically Christian, um, you know, I think it's just better to be kind of secular. Um, so let's just before we move on, let's clarify what secular means. Um, secularism, there are two definitions of secularism or, or two kind of different ways that people think about secular. The first way is more classically, it's a, a kind of a level playing field for different uh, ideas or beliefs. So it doesn't seek to exclude religious belief at all. It just seeks to provide a kind of level playing field for um, different belief systems. So if you're a Christian, then that's absolutely fine. You know, you can bring your whole self as a Christian to the table with all of your beliefs and everything. And if someone else is a Muslim and has different beliefs, they can bring all of their beliefs to the table as well. And it's just kind of a level playing field to ensure, I was going to say to ensure a fair fight. I'm not quite sure a fair fight is the, the right way of putting it, but that's kind of the the idea I suppose just making sure everything is fair and different ideas are, are represented kind of fairly that's one definition of, uh, of secular the other definition which I think probably more people would think of when they hear the word secular is the systematic exclusion of religious beliefs from public life and I think probably the National Secular Society would be more down that road of secular in that uh, yes you know you, you may have your private religious beliefs but keep them out of government keep them out of the media you know keep them from making any difference in um, in law or today's life basically um, so I think those I think those two are the the different ways of thinking about secular one is just a level playing field the other one is actually trying systematically to exclude religion. Now, I want to say, um, let's assume people don't want to systematically exclude, in inverted commas, uh, religious beliefs. So I think that, you know, I can sort of understand the first secular, uh, the first understanding of secularism. Um, I don't think anyone really wants to, to ban anyone with religious beliefs from holding public office. I think the people I mentioned um, previously, I would, I mean, I, I haven't gone around and asked their opinions, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, at least people like Andrew Doyle and Douglas Murray and, and so on would, would not want, you know, Christian MPs from being banned from, you know, being MPs. That would be, yeah, that would be completely the opposite of what they would want, I think. So, you know, I'm not really dealing with that that kind of definition of, of secular. That is, by the way, known as secularist. Um, not that you know definitions these days matter too much, um, but uh, it, you know, because I think people just say secular to mean whatever they think it means. But secularist is kind of what it's properly known as. So let me give you one example of the kind of thing which I'm talking about. It's the issue of abortion. Now, abortion is one of these hot potato issues where it's almost like you're not allowed to have alternative opinions about it anymore. I mentioned before that Lawrence Fox was putting it on Twitter uh, last week, I think, or, or a little while ago, and he got quite a strong pushback about this. And I think a lot of people have this view that, you know, yes, Christianity teaches that all life is sacred, including, you know, life from the moment of conception. So, um, you know, Christianity is against abortion, of course, and that's what I would agree with, that, um, you know, I think the Bible is, is very clear. Uh, but as a secular society, we have seen the light and we have decided that we, on this point, can abandon those Christian values and move beyond them. And our secular society is more uh, compassionate and more wise than the Bible because we can adapt our morality and we can choose to believe 
what we want to. So I kind of think that's where people go um, with that one, that yes, the, the Bible may have taught one thing, but we've moved beyond it now. So although the Bible might have been a foundation at one point, now we're secular, we've moved beyond it and we can choose to believe what what we want to to believe. Um, I think that's kind of how people um, people think about it. So let's think about where secularism came from. Uh, let me quote you an article from Tom Holland. Uh, you know, I've um, quoted Tom Holland before his book Dominion. Um, I think uh, that's the one of the, the books that I recommend everyone to read, uh, which just kind of talks about the influence of Christianity on the modern world. But this is from an article that he wrote in The New Statesman, which um, sadly is now behind a paywall, I think. Um, which was written a few years ago, but he's talking about the roots of uh, secularism. So let me quote you what he says. Most people, Richard Dawkins assures us in The God Delusion, pay lip service to the same broad liberal consensus of ethical principles. Perhaps so. And yet the liberal consensus, as it exists in today's Europe, is no less contingent no less the product of specific historical influences than was the enthusiasm of the Spartans for state-sponsored infanticide or the Romans' taste for watching criminals being torn to death. A secularism that is content to trace its origins back to the classical world but not to the Christian church is a secularism in profound denial. To acknowledge as much is hardly to open the back door to the Inquisition nor even necessarily to imply a belief in God. Rather, it is to recognise that cultural presumptions, no less than species, are shaped by a continuous process of evolution, and that even as they change and adapt, so also do they continue to bear witness to their origins. So Tom Holland is arguing here that the liberal consensus that we have in the Western world didn't just fall out of the sky, but it is a product of the history of the Western world, which is Christian. And that's, some, that's why these countries have come out with these liberal values, because we inherited them specifically from Christianity. And he says that people who, who argue that they're from their Greco-Roman or, or something like that clearly do not are not being historically honest. So, you know, Tom Holland has come to understand that the, the traditions we see today are, you know, the morals, the values that we see today come from Christianity in, in the West. And this is much the same as what others have said. Let me quote you from John Locke, who is the famous uh, British philosopher, political philosopher, and uh, we'll come on to him again in just a second. But um, there's a lovely quote here. This is from um, uh, a PC published called The Reasonableness of Christianity, published in 1695. He that travels the roads now applauds his own strength and legs that have carried him so far in such a scantling of time and ascribes all to his own vigour, little considering how much he owes to their pains who cleared the woods, drained the bogs, built the bridges and made the ways possible. I think this is a wonderful quote. Whereas John Locke is basically saying, look, you know, people today, and bearing in mind he was writing in 1695, so nothing has really changed, they enjoy all of the benefits and you know they say, yeah, we all of this is down to us. But he says they think nothing of the people who actually did the hard work before. And actually I think the the I say the irony or I don't know whatever it is but you know John Locke is one of those people actually now who helped to drain the bogs and clear the ditches and, and so on you know we need to look to the ideas that the foundations that the ideas we believe were built on and it's no good to simply take these ideas as read and say yeah the liberal consensus it just came to us out of the sky but say well we're kind of going to forget Christianity because you know that we've got the values now so we can ditch christianity 
Now, John Locke says, no, 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 we need to think about the foundations that our values are built on. We can't just take the values as read. Uh, so let me let me go on to John Locke again. The last um, week or two, I, I read um, his second treatise on government, which was published in uh, 1689. And this is his most famous work about the, the government and about politics. Um, and it's something that I want to come back to maybe even next week. So, uh, yeah, I think it's but I, I think, you know, it is well worth reading. And I would recommend if you have a, a bit of time, you know, even just like the first I think the first half I found, you know, the, the best uh, kind of most inspiring for me. And just the way that he builds up the case for freedom and for, you know, the government as kind of part of that. And we'll, we will come on to that, uh, I hope, in, a, in a, another week, maybe next week. Really inspiring. And, um, yeah, if you Google it or DuckDuckGo it, whatever, um, I think it's um, the version that I read was earlymoderntexts.com. Uh, um, and it's a, one of the top results on um, on the search search engine. Um, so, yeah, let me quote you a little bit from his second treatise of government, thinking about where he derives our freedom from. To understand political power correctly and derive it from its proper source, we must consider what state all men are naturally in. In this state, men are perfectly free to order their actions and dispose of their possessions and themselves in any way they like, without asking anyone's permission subject only to limits set by the law of nature. So John Locke starts out by saying, to understand political power correctly, we must derive it from its source. So he goes straight to the foundations. We must derive it from its source. And he says, we are born free. Now, why does he say that we are born free? A little bit later, he goes on, and reason, which is that law, teaches anyone who takes the trouble to consult it, that because we are all equal and independent, no one ought to harm anyone else in his life, health, liberty or possessions. This is because we are all the work of one omnipotent and infinitely wise maker. We are all the servants of one sovereign master, sent into the world by his order to do his business. We are all the property of him who made us, and he made us to last as long as he chooses, not as long as we choose. So John Locke derives the freedom that we have from the fact that we are made by one God. And this is what we were uh, looking at before, I think. We've looked at this a few times in Sacred Musings. So let's just take a moment to ponder that. John Locke says we have to... Uh, we are born free to derive our political um, power correctly. We have to go to the source of that freedom and the source is that God made us. And it's rooted in the Christian God, not just God in, you know, vague terms, but in the Christian God. That is where John Locke derives his political philosophy from. So John Locke builds on the foundations of Christianity. And if you remember, I think before Christmas, um, some weeks ago, we were looking at uh, John Milton, his famous um, speech, Areopagitica, where he defends freedom of speech and um, against censorship of the press. And um, he bases that again on Christianity. He quotes a lot of examples from the Bible. That was a speech that he gave in Parliament. So the foundations of our freedom, freedom in politics, freedom in life, freedom of speech, are all Christian freedoms which are supported from the Bible. That is the, the fundamental point here. And what I'm trying to say is, can, can the building, can the structure stand without the foundations? If you take away the Christian foundations of our society and say, well, we moved beyond them now. You know, they may play an important role historically, but we've moved beyond the Christian foundations. Can we then expect to retain our freedoms? You know, freedom of speech, um, freedom, you know, liberty in, in what we do and, and so on. 
I don't think we can. That's the thing, that when you take away the foundations, at the end of the day, the building's going to crumble. And I think what happened through the course of the 20th century, as um, Christianity has been eroded from public life, certainly from the, the 1960s onwards, then what has happened is the foundations have been taken away. And for a long time, I think we coasted on you know, without the foundations, because we were still kind of enjoying the fruits of, of, of some of the labours of people who built on those foundations. You know, we still enjoyed some of that freedom through the, the 80s and the 90s and, and so on. You know, we were still enjoying freedom of speech and so on, which our Christian forebears had fought for. But the foundations had been taken away and it couldn't stand. And that is the thing which I think we found. So what fundamentally is the problem with making secular arguments for freedom? Because lots of people have done this and have tried to do this. The problem is that every secular argument for freedom, um, whether that be for free speech or even for moral values or, or anything like that, it involves a kind of sleight of hand. That, for example, if you... Um, appeal to some good that you you believe that is desirable for example you say well we should we should allow free speech because that will lead us to the truth you know if if speech is allowed to to be um, to be free people are allowed to debate things that will lead us to the truth what if i don't accept that as a good and what if i say well actually i don't think you know, arriving at the truth is necessarily the best thing. You know, I think it's better that the government should have uh, control over the truth. Now, you might think, well, hold, well, that's a ridiculous thing, you know, because how can we trust the government? But, you know, I think some people do genuinely seem to believe that. So they might just think differently. And if you think that, you know, allowing people to think for themselves and come to the truth on their own is a good thing other people might think differently um, and it's similarly with appealing to reason you know other people you know, secular arguments will make a reasoned case for something but then well what if I reason differently what if I have different values what if I think differently ultimately the, the problem that secular arguments have is that they have to appeal to some authority, whether that be a reason or whether that be some value or something. They have to appeal to something as authoritative, where it can't have, without God, it can't have that authority. Because it's just your opinion at the end of the day. You might think that your reasoning is flawless, perfect, logical, and, and everyone should, should submit to it. But at the end of the day, it's just your reasoning and your opinion. If you can't convince someone else, then it has no authority. That is the, the problem with secular reasoning. The fundamental problem that we have as a society is who's in charge? Now, who gives the authority as to how a society should be? And whatever you say is in charge will shape the society. So if you say God is in charge, then God has made us free. God has made us like this. And it will lead to the kind of society which we have enjoyed in the Western world. If you say that reason and technology are in charge, then that will look very different. And I think we're starting to see what that might look like. Um, just to give an illustration of the problem that we have here with secular reasoning. You think about the problem in, for example, in this country with the, you know, the, the Batley um, school where the teacher showed an image of the Prophet Muhammad um, and or the, the uh, Islamic Prophet Muhammad, I should say. I, I don't believe that he was a prophet uh, of God, a true prophet. But, um, you know, the, and, and um, the uh, yeah, they, they got upset and he's still in hiding after many months. Uh, and it's these blasphemy laws. That's the problem. Now, can you make a secular case for those Muslims to not have those blasphemy laws? Can you make a, could you, 
convince them purely on a secular level why they shouldn't have those laws. I don't think you could. And that's because for them, they believe those laws come from God and he is the highest authority. Anything else that you can say will not shake them. And I think this is where we have an authority problem. There is, when you get rid of God and when you become secular, you have an authority void and the gap will be filled by whoever believes that they have the the ultimate authority, whether that be the government, whether that be scientists or the science or whatever it might be. Someone will step into that void. This is why we need to, I think, we need to be, be careful to build on the foundations, which is God has made the world in a particular way. And we need to look to that as the truth, the source and the foundation of all truth to build on, rather than trying to to put put whatever else we might want to in that void of that authority void so i just wanted to finish by thinking about which societies are most free just to kind of prove the point really um because it's not a coincidence that the western kind of post christendom societies are usually the most free the liberal democracies um and if you look around the world then you know there's very little freedom in places like china or north korea which are very very hostile to christianity you could add to the list places like afghanistan as well they're hostile to christianity and they are not very free those two things are related you know that's that's what i'm saying here and what i i think is telling is that as a society as we have become more secular we haven't become more free we have become less free that is um the key point i think the key thing to remember now as we have uh secularized we've become less free that's because we have detached ourselves from the foundations which would actually bring freedom we have detached ourselves from thinkers like john locke who um, wrote extensively about this and whose, I think, whose ideas held a lot of sway uh, up until perhaps more recently. We need to get back to the foundations. And I, I find it baffling how people can't join the dots here and they can't say, well, as we become more secular, we become more free. I suspect it's because people think that they want, you know, everything that, that secularism brings. They want the freedom uh, so to speak, to actually be able to do what they they think they want to do, like issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, and so on. You know that we we like the the freedom that Christianity brings when it comes to you know being able to live our life without government interference. We don't like you know um, having the constraints, so we think, of not being able to kill unborn babies or two men or two women not being able to get married. Unfortunately, it comes as a package, you know, and I think this is the challenge, I would say, to our secular society today, uh, to people who see the problem um, of, you know, all the, the, the authoritarianism going on, which is, are we prepared to seek the foundations and with it, seek the morality and the values that come from Christianity and actually return to to those values rather than you know seeking freedom and in doing so enabling this kind of authoritarianism i really do think we have a choice here you know either to embrace christianity as our foundation once again and to look to that for the source of our morality our values our government and everything or we go down the secular road we ditch christianity and we see just how authoritarian the government gets. Those two things are mutually exclusive. They are opposites. You know, either we go back to Christianity and return to freedom, or we go down the secular road and see the government get more and more authoritarian. I think that is the choice that we have before us. I'd just like to finish with a quote from uh, Galatians. I've been writing a book um, about the Christian life recently, and um, This quote uh, sort of jumped out at me once again, as it it always does. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Freedom is what Christ came for. Freedom is what he came for. And 
that's wonderful good news and that is something which I hope um, we can uh, look more into in this coming year as we think about uh, what it means to, to live as human beings. So let's finish the podcast today with a reflection from the Bible. And I wanted to look at um, Psalm 146. I read this a few days ago and it really uh, jumped out at me. It's not a very long psalm, so I'll read the whole thing out. I'd just like to say, by the way, I didn't put this, uh, didn't say this at the start, but all of the links that I've mentioned will be down in the description below. All of the things I, I started out with in case you want to uh, to um, kind of explore any of that further yourself. So Psalm 146, let me read this out. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cords of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Uh, this is... Um, a lovely psalm and um, I, I think as I read through it hopefully it, it won't be any um, it won't come as a shock uh, it, you know it will be obvious I suppose why I chose this particular one um, but it, it's yeah the first the first few verses talking about you know it's better to uh, to trust in the Lord than to trust in princes and I think we've seen that haven't we over the last um, over the last few months particularly we in Britain, and I've realised that I did this prior to 2020. I think it's the last few years really exposed how I did this. But whenever there was a problem, I would think, ah, oh, the government need to do something about that. The government should do something. And that just, I think for a lot of British people, that's just our instinctive natural reaction. Well, it's the government's fault. It's the council's fault. They should send a man to do it. They should put new laws in place. They should sort this out. And there are some things which are proper for a government to do, but uh, I like that it said it's actually, you know, human beings cannot save at the end of the day. And I think that we've maybe had too much faith in the government to try and do things and to try and save. I certainly have uh, for myself. Um, and they're just human at the end of the day. They are just human. But it said, blessed are those whose help is a God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, because he made everything. You know, he is still God over everything. And that is the hope, actually, that if we trust in the government to solve every problem, they are not going to be able, they're going to be a massive disappointment because they are not going to be able to solve every problem. And we've seen that, haven't we? You know, they can't solve the NHS. They can't solve the problem with boats crossing the channel. They can't solve any of those problems. It seems like they're just stuck at the moment. But God, he he's faithful forever, you know, and he is the one who he upholds the cause of the oppressed and sets prisoners free and lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. And that's what I, I think is the real, the lovely message of, of this psalm and, and all through the psalms and through the Bible, that God loves people who just, you know, devote themselves to doing what is good and right and devote themselves to trusting him even especially those who are oppressed, who uh, are, you know, held captive by whatever it may be. Uh, but actually, uh, you know, God is the one who who sets us free ultimately from from sin. And God is the one who 
uh, is does what is just and right. And he sees even the small things that we do when we do what is just and right, rather than being, you know, as um, one translation has it of uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. You know, that we, when we don't let the world squeeze us into its mould, when we don't let, uh, you know, get taken up with materialism and just being focused on ourselves and you know when we do actually look to our communities to our neighbors to love and to do what is right God sees that and he honors that and you know we need to look to him and trust in him to solve the problems in the world rather than looking to our political leaders I think that's a good reminder as we begin uh, 2023 that it's so easy to think about um, you know, the problems of politics and the problems of the world and think we need political solutions. And you say, yeah, I trust in God, but what we need is a new government or we need a new this, that and the other. But whatever we may need, we know that we can trust God for it. And it is better to trust in him than to trust in any earthly government because they will disappoint in the end. So I hope that that is encouraging to you. I found that a real encouragement as I read it uh, a few days ago. So let's take a moment uh, to pray at the end of this episode. We always finish with a prayer uh, in Sacred Musings. And let's take a moment to pray about the things that we've been uh, talking about today. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you, Lord, that although there are many and dark and evil things going on in the world uh, at the moment, we know, Lord, that you are still God, that you still care about uh, righteousness and you still defend those who are oppressed and we pray that you would help us to trust you and look to you every day and we pray that you would give us confidence and trust in in you and in your abilities lord to, to sort these things out help us not to trust in political leaders and we pray that as a society uh, as individuals and as a society, that you would cause us to be building on uh, the foundations, Lord, to be building on the foundation of um, your word and the truth that you have revealed to us. We pray that you would help us to look to you once again in every way and to build a society which is um, based on you and on uh, your values, your word, your commandments, everything, Lord. So we pray these things and entrust ourselves to you and those we love uh, to your care this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today. Um, Happy New Year once again, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Don't forget to get in touch. Um, telegram, email, sacredmusingspod at gmail.com or um, leave a comment uh, below and all the links below and there's the buy me a coffee link as well if you would like to support me so thanks so much everyone god bless and i will see you again soon